Welcome to Parents' Rights Now, a production of Parents' Rights in Education, hosted by Suzanne Gallagher. We are committed to valuing students, empowering parents, and supporting communities to secure great educations for public school children in America. PRE welcomes all students, families, and community members who care about scholastic success for K-12 public school students. Our membership is diverse and inclusive. Visit our website, parentsrightsined.org, and like us on Facebook. Our chapters include Arizona, Alaska, Colorado, Idaho, Illinois, Montana, Ohio, Oregon, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin. Join us by filling out the form on our website titled, Join Us. You will find information regarding issues and information about local and state chapters. Hey guys, today is Friday, February 18th. Well, we lost the recording that was to be aired yesterday, so we are doing it today. Oh my gosh, that's showbiz. This podcast is gaining momentum. We have reached a milestone, over 10,000 downloads. It's great to know you are listening. That's something since this is new to me, and now I am encouraged to expand our reach. I hope you will continue to listen and share these episodes. From the beginning, I believed this is one of the best ways to reach parents. I know you have very little opportunity to read lengthy articles or research materials on websites. Pre's website is one of the best resources out there. Please use it when searching for more information. The show notes here are provided so you can do just that. I spoke with a woman earlier this week about the dynamics associated with our issues today. Isn't it incredulous? People seem so ready to believe pretty much anything they're told. They don't question the validity. For example, the transgender issue. Basic understanding of biology would lead most to doubt the premise one can change their sex by using cross-sex hormones and remove body parts. Even more astounding is the notion prepubescent youth should be stopped from going through puberty, and school counselors should identify those students and keep their decision from their parents. And this ridiculous reasoning can be applied to mask and vaccine mandates and other lame excuses for restricting freedoms and controlling citizens. In addition, what is more astounding is the willingness of people to be controlled. A fairy tale came to mind as we talked. The Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen. Have you read it? We often use the phrase when making a point, but do we know the story? I decided to share it with you. Hans Christian Andersen was a Dane, born in 1805. He is recognized around the world for his books, including The Ugly Duckling, Thumbelina, The Little Match Girl, The Princess and the Pea, and many others. He endured many hardships, 
by, and by some accounts transformed his pain into art. His fairy tales were highlighted in a movie in 1952, and he became a household favorite. His stories always had meaning. So here we go. The Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen. Many, many years ago, there was an emperor who was so terribly fond of beautiful new clothes that he spent all his money on his attire. He did not care about his soldiers or attending the theater or even going for a drive in the park, unless it was to show off his new clothes. He had an outfit for every hour of the day, and just as we say, the king is in his council chamber, his subjects used to say, the emperor is in his clothes closet. In the large town where the emperor's palace was, life was gay and happy, and every day new visitors arrived. One day, two swindlers came. They told everybody that they were weavers and that they could weave the most marvelous cloth. Not only were the colors and patterns of the material extraordinarily beautiful, but the cloth had the strange quality of being invisible to anyone who was unfit for his office or unforgivably stupid. This is truly marvelous, thought the emperor. Now, if I had robes cut from that material, I should know which of my counselors was unfit for his office, and I would be able to pick out my clever subjects myself. They must weave some material for me, and he gave the swindlers a lot of money so they could start working at once. They set up a loom and acted as if they were weaving, but the loom was empty. The fine silk and gold threads they demanded from the emperor they never used, but hid them in their own knapsacks. Late into the night, they would sit before their empty loom, pretending to weave. I would like to know how far they've come, thought the emperor. But his heart beat strangely when he remembered that those who were stupid or unfit for their office would not be able to see the material. Not that he was really worried that this would happen to him. Still, it might be better to send someone else the first time and see how he fared. Everybody in the town heard about the cloth's magic quality, and most of them could hardly wait to find out how stupid or unworthy their neighbors were. I shall send my faithful prime minister to see the weaver, thought the emperor. He will know how to judge the material, for he is both clever and fit for his office, if any man is. The good-natured old man stepped into the room where the weavers were working and saw the empty loom. He closed his eyes and opened them again. God preserve me, he thought. I cannot see a thing. But he didn't say it out loud. The swindlers asked him to step a little closer so that he could admire the intricate patterns and marvelous colors of the material they were weaving. They both pointed to the empty loom, and the poor old prime minister opened his eyes as wide as he could. But it didn't help. He still couldn't see anything. 
Am I stupid, he thought? I can't believe it. But if it is so, it is best no one finds out about it. But maybe I am not fit for my office. No, that is worse. I'd better not admit it that I can't see what they are weaving. Tell us what you think of it, demanded one of the swindlers. Oh, it's beautiful. It is very lovely, mumbled the old prime minister, adjusting his glasses. What patterns, what colors. I shall tell the emperor that I am greatly pleased. And that pleases us, the weaver said. And now they described the patterns and told which shades of color they had used. The prime minister listened attentively so that he could repeat their words to the emperor. And that is exactly what he did. The two swindlers demanded more money and more silk and gold thread. They said they had to use it for their weaving, but their loom remained as empty as ever. Soon the emperor sent another of his trusted counselors to see how the work was progressing. He looked and looked, just as the prime minister had. But since there was nothing to be seen, he didn't see anything. Isn't it marvelous piece of material? asked one of the swindlers. They both began to describe the beauty of their cloth again. I am not stupid, thought the emperor's counselor. I must be unfit for my office. That is strange, but I'd better not admit it to anyone. And he started to praise the material which he could not see for the loveliness of its patterns and colors. I think it is the most charming piece of material I have ever seen, declared the counselor to the emperor. Everyone in town was talking about the marvelous cloth that the swindlers were weaving. At last, the emperor decided to see it before it was removed from the loom. Attended by the most important people in the empire, among them the prime minister and the counselor who had been there before, the emperor entered the room where the weavers were weaving furiously on their empty loom. Isn't it magnificent? asked the prime minister. Your Majesty, look at the colors and patterns, said the counselor, and the two old gentlemen pointed to the empty loom, believing that all the rest of the company could see the cloth. What? thought the emperor. I can't see a thing. Why, this is a disaster. Am I stupid? Am I unfit to be emperor? Oh, it is too horrible. Aloud, he said, it is very lovely. It has my approval. While he nodded his head and looked at the empty loom. All the counselors, ministers, and men of great importance who had come with him stared and stared, but they saw no more than the emperor had seen. And they said the same thing that he had said. It is lovely. And they advised him to have clothes cut and sewn so that he could wear them in the procession at the next great celebration. It is magnificent, beautiful, excellent. All of their mouths agreed, though none of their eyes had seen anything. The two swindlers were decorated and given the title of Royal Knight 
of the loom. The night before the procession, the two swindlers didn't sleep at all. They had 16 candles lighting up the room where they worked. Everyone could see how busy they were getting the emperor's new clothes finished. They pretended to take cloth from the loom. They cut the air with their big scissors and sewed with needles without thread. At last, they announced, the emperor's new clothes are ready. Together with his courtiers, the emperor came. The swindlers lifted their arms as if they were holding something in their hands and said, these are the trousers, this is the robe, and here is the train. They are all as light as if they were made of spider webs. It will be as if your majesty had almost nothing on, but that is their special virtue. Oh, yes, breathed all the courtiers, but they saw nothing, for there was nothing to be seen. Will your imperial majesty be so gracious as to take off your clothes? asked the swindlers. Over there by the big mirror, we shall help you put your new ones on. The emperor did as he was told, and the swindlers acted as if they were dressing him in the clothes they should have made. Finally, they tied around his waist the long train which two of his most noble courtiers were to carry. The emperor stood in front of the mirror, admiring the clothes he could not see. Oh, how they suit you! A perfect fit, everyone exclaimed. What colors, what patterns! The new clothes are magnificent. The crimson canopy under which your imperial majesty is to walk is waiting outside, said the imperial master of court ceremony. Well, I am dressed. Aren't my clothes becoming? The emperor turned around once more in front of the mirror, pretending to study his finery. The two gentlemen of the imperial bedchamber fumbled on the floor, trying to find the train which they were supposed to carry. Can't you just see them? They didn't dare admit that they didn't see anything and so pretended to pick up the train and held their hands as if they were carrying it. The emperor walked in the procession under his crimson canopy, and all the people of the town who lined the streets or were looking down from the windows said that the emperor's new clothes were beautiful. What a magnificent robe! And the train, how well the emperor's clothes suit him! None of them, were willing to admit that they hadn't seen a thing, for if anyone did, then he was either stupid or unfit for the job he held. Never before had the emperor's clothes been such a success. But he doesn't have anything on, cried a little child. Listen to the innocent one, said the proud father, and the people whispered among each other and repeated, what the child had said. He doesn't have anything on. There's a little child who says that he has nothing on. He has nothing on, shouted all the people at last. The emperor shivered, for he was certain that they were right. But he thought, I must bear it until the procession is over. 
and he walked even more proudly, and the two gentlemen of the imperial bedchamber went on carrying the train that wasn't there. What did you think? This is particularly interesting in light of the times. Fast forward to today. Who is the emperor? And who are the swindlers? I love this allegory. We must be continually vigilant to expose truth, although our nature is to leave the details of government in the hands of experts, not questioning their opinions. Like the counselors, ministers, and men of great importance in this story, we are prone to go along with the narrative we're fed by those who want to control and destroy our nation. And did you notice? It was a child who started the conversation acknowledging the truth. He has nothing on. He has nothing on. I have observed in our fight to regain parents' rights in education, often those adults who are more financially successful are less prone to standing up for their own children. They are more concerned about what others think of them. I don't want to draw attention to myself as a troublemaker. After all, my views may not be accepted, and I might lose my job. Then there are the public school teachers who are afraid of losing their jobs, even though they know their students are being victimized by indoctrination and manipulated by counselors. Let this fable continue to remind us of our responsibility to always question, verify truth, and stand up. This is Parents' Rights Now. Oh, and please check your show notes. We have a link to a brief questionnaire. We'd really uh, love to have you fill out. You could help us out a lot if you would do that. Uh, give us some feedback about what you think about pre. Oh, and one last thing. It would be so, so great if you could help us out financially as well. Um, you know, we have ongoing expenses every month and we're growing, growing like crazy. And uh, we do give assistance to all of our chapters. They can uh, ask people in their various states to contribute. So you might want to consider that if there is a chapter in your state, uh, you can indicate that you prefer for the money to go directly to the state. And Pre keeps 20% of that and 80% goes to the chapters to help them with their expenses for printing, etc. A lot of them are putting on events and we encourage them to do that. And so this helps them to grow and to take action. And um, anyway, just go to the donate page on our website, parentsrightsined.org. Thanks much. So